1: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and
0: conditions apply. So what's President Trump up to? Does he want to take down the Republican Party and remake it in his own image? I don't believe anyone doubts the American people's values or
1: the commitment of the American government or the government's agencies to advancing those values and defending those values. And, and the president's values? The president speaks for himself, Chris.
0: Hello, and welcome to TrumpCast, the show about the man who was begging Vladimir Putin for help with a Moscow real estate deal while running for president in 2016, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Today on the show, are Trump's cabinet appointees looking for an escape hatch? This weekend, it sure looked that way. No less than three of his most senior appointees, his secretaries of state and defense, And the chairman of his economic council challenged the president's disgusting comments about the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said that the president spoke only for himself. Now, usually you'd say something like that if you were about to resign or expecting to be fired. But T-Rex and his colleagues may be placing a different bet here, that being associated with Trump's toxic views and incompetent management It's a lot worse than having Donald Trump mad at you. Or they may be predicting that Trump is now just too weak politically to fire them. Or they might be predicting that Trump himself is on the way out. Or some combination of the above. It's not quite take this job and shove it, but it's getting closer to you're not the boss of me, which is not something that a president who expects blind loyalty is ever going to take well. I'll be back in a moment to discuss Donald Trump's no-confidence vote from his own team with The Atlantic's McKay Coppins. But first, let me remind you about our live show coming up in Austin, Texas, on Saturday, September 23rd, at the Texas Union Theater. It's part of the Texas Tribune Festival, and we've got not one, but two special guests, Jill Abramson, the former editor of The New York Times, and Joaquin Castro, the congressman from San Antonio. It's going to be a great show with me, Virginia Heffernan, and Jamel Bowie. Tickets are available at slate.com slash live. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: Hey, Trumpcast listeners, Jason here with just one more quick message before we start today's show. We're trying something new here at Trumpcast, a mailbag show. Do you have questions for our hosts, Jacob Weisberg and Virginia Heffernan? If so, ask us by tweeting at us at RealTrumpCast, or you can use the hashtag AskTrumpCast. You can also leave us a short voice message at 646-598-6510. Again, you can tweet at us at RealTrumpCast, use the hashtag AskTrumpCast, Trumpcast, or leave us a voice message at 646-598-6510. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to answering your questions on an upcoming show.
0: I'm pleased to welcome back to the show today, McKay Coppins. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic. McKay, hello. Hi. I think last time we had you on the show, you were at uh, BuzzFeed. How are you liking it over at the uh, Palmier climbs? I guess <laughs> but now it's like you, instead of writing seven times a day, you just write an article every month citing Emerson, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We we sit around in our tweed uh, tweed sport coats and debate grammar and philosophy all day. It's it's very nice.
0: Well, that's what I want to do with you right now. Actually, I, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about whether Trump's cabinet is revolting. I know there are two meanings to that term. That was intentional. Um, <laughs> but there were, the last couple of days, there have been just a series of extraordinary comments from his secretary of state, from Gary Cohn, the head of its economic council, and from his secretary of defense as well. And I guess before we get into the specifics, what you, is our phenomenon here? If you'd asked me who are the Republicans who are going to start to desert Trump, I would have said, well, it'll start in Congress. I would not have said it would be his own cabinet appointments.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I will say there has been a kind of very gradual uptick in, in members of Congress being willing to criticize the president. But it's much more striking that people like Rex Tillerson and Gary Cohn, you know, top aides and advisors in his administration are willing to criticize him. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't know, if this is part of the beginning of a broader trend if it if it's just kind of the fallout from charlottesville but it does raise questions about how tenable the the trump administration is as it's currently constructed at least i i you know if top administration officials are willing to go on the record and criticize the president or undermine him or or distance themselves from him It's unclear the extent to which the president really has control of the federal government, even even in his own administration, his own White House.
0: And you could say these guys are speaking from conscience, and maybe they are to some extent, but they're also making a political calculation. Of course. And the political calculation is that the president being mad at me is not my biggest problem. I may have a bigger problem if I don't create any distance from his comments on Charlottesville at the moment. And so... It looked to me like all three of these guys were trying in some way. They're, they're not trying to leave. They're trying to figure out how they can stay and still maintain both some self-respect and some public respect.
1: Right. And I think that exposes a couple of things. One is that I think there is something, you know, you can call it conscience, you can call it perspective, you can call it political calculation. I think there's just a growing sense within his White House and administration that this presidency is turning out to be... a a pretty huge failure, uh, and and not just in you know in in the according to the metrics that I or you or, or people in the media would set out. It, frankly, they they haven't achieved any of their own conservative policy goals. It's unlike it's unlikely that they will in the next year. And It's possible that we'll get through the entire Trump presidency without a serious major legislative accomplishment. Meanwhile you have things like Charlottesville illustrating the fact that this president is not ever really going to change the way that he acts. He's, he's unpredictable. He's volatile. Uh, you could say that he's reckless. And I think some of these guys are starting to wonder, you know, how how did they want their line or their footnote in the history books to read? And, and some of them, I think, are starting to put distance between themselves and the president. And, and maybe they're even kind of leaving open the possibility that they get fired over it. But they, they kind of feel like they can speak out and let the chips fall where they may rather than continue to be seen as the good soldier at moments of ongoing crisis and controversy.
0: Right. I mean, if you don't think he's going to be there for four years and several of them are certainly behaving as if they don't believe that, you don't want to be the last person there. You might be better off being fired in an earlier stage. I mean, right. you know, you want to be on the right side of that without being able to predict when, when it's going to happen. Let's let's talk about Tillerson first. I mean, I I was amazed by his his comments on this sock show to Chris Wallace over the weekend when he said the president speaks for himself on Charlottesville. I mean, that's an amazing comment. I mean, that was very right. clearly distancing himself from the president and saying the president doesn't speak for the administration, doesn't speak for anybody except <laughs> Donald Trump. I mean, that is certainly if you're if you're talking about pushing it. Uh, you could get fired for saying something like that in most administrations.
1: Oh, absolutely. He, he, he was saying that the president, does, it, it came after kind of a very boilerplate spiel that kind of any secretary of state probably would give about how no one in the world doubts the American government's commitment to promoting you know, democratic values, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then the follow up is, well, what about the president? And he says the president speaks for himself. That not only puts the president on the wrong side of American values, it also completely undermines him and and kind of suggests a certain impotence to, you know, saying that the president really is speaking for himself. He doesn't he's not in charge of the the, the American government, certainly doesn't speak for it. And uh, and you can kind of just ignore him. I think that that was a remarkable display of kind of uh, disobedience or, or lack of respect uh, and it and it was clear. I thought watching it that Hillerson went in ready to say that he yeah. had that that ready to go. You know that when Chris Wallace, you know, asked him what about the president, he said the president speaks for himself. Chris, that that seems like a line he was he went in ready to deliver. And uh, and he, you know, so far there's been <laughs> he hasn't reaped any consequences. So who who knows? You know, we're talking just 24 hours after that interview. It's it is possible that by the end of this week or the end of next month that he won't be in his current job it, it's unclear to me right now
0: you took that as a sign that he may be planning his departure or, or expecting yeah that
1: he's, he's yeah he's planning his departure or he sees the writing on the wall and knows that he he's not going to be there forever and again, like I said, just wanted to kind of plant a flag and go out with some dignity.
0: There's been some mounting frustration there, right? I mean, the the White House has not right. let Tillerson fill all these senior roles at the State Department, and they've undercut him on policy on point after point. I mean, they've made pretty clear that, you know, t- policy is made by Trump on Twitter, not by the Secretary of State in a in a policy planning process.
1: Right. And then we saw a report from Axios today just saying that Trump has gotten more and more fed up with with Tillerson, and the the quote that was uh, was featured in that article is Trump saying that Tillerson was too establishment in his thinking, and he doesn't get it. That that suggests that both Tillerson is unhappy in the job. We've seen lots of reporting about that, and Trump is unhappy with the way Tillerson has has acted. I've been kind of you know this is a side note, but I've been kind of struck by how strange Tillerson's tenure has been as Secretary of State. It's one thing to have kind of clashes over foreign policy, which is certainly unusual and not normal, but also understandable given Trump's very unusual foreign policy and not entirely coherent foreign policy vision. But it's another thing that Tillerson seems entirely, at least for the first few months of his time in, in office, entirely obsessed with kind of, Restructuring the State Department uh, as as an organization, which is you know interesting and maybe there's some merit to it, but is not really the primary job of the Secretary of State. There's a lot of fires to put out around the world, and when you have a, a Secretary of State who has a very underfunded, understaffed State Department, who's kind of fiddling around with the the seating chart, that that doesn't speak very well of, of how Tillerson is uh, is handling his. his Tasks
0: and then let's talk about Gary Cohn. So Gary Cohn, the, his top economic advisor, on Friday had an interview with the Financial Times where he was very strong on Charlottesville. He basically said Trump has got to do a better job condemning these alt right groups. He, you know, he used the term neo neo Nazi, and then on top of that. He was uh, overheard in a restaurant in the Hamptons, which I appreciated was called the frisky oyster because he was feeling (laughs) a little frisky himself, saying the president can't keep his mouth shut. And when you're trying to to make policy, you can't even tell the president what policy you want because he'll just blab about it. I mean, it was essentially saying you've got to if you work for this guy, you know, you have to treat him like a like a loaded gun and just try to do what you can to prevent catastrophe.
1: Yeah, I mean, geez, the the, the Gary Cohn uh, remarks are pretty devastating. And there's a difference, right? The the caught in an unguarded private moment, bad mouthing your boss. You know, we've we've all been there. The substance of what he said was kind of remarkable. That basically. They have to treat Trump like a problem to be contained rather than the leader of the administration of the country. Uh,
0: You you think that was an accident? I wasn't there, but that that struck me as, as maybe very crafty to be talking very loudly in a very public place. So you're not really responsible for comments, but you let everybody know what you think.
1: Yeah, it's possible that he was trying to get it out there, but still he at least has some plausible deniability doing it that way. What's more remarkable is an uh, is on the record interview (laughs) where he he frankly said that he he almost resigned over uh, Charlottesville, that the administration's not doing a good enough job at denouncing hate groups. I mean, that that you would go on the record and say that about the president. I mean, again, these are these are uncommon times and, and and lots of strange things have happened. But I think it's always useful to just take a step back and realize how dramatic and strange this all is that the top economic advisor to the president is is giving interviews saying this about his own boss, the the commander in chief. I mean, it it certainly suggests that there are serious divisions. And by the way, one quick thing I would mention is that we're heading into a month where there are a lot of serious major legislative battles that that actually have to be fought, you know, to avoid government shutdown, to raise the debt ceiling, to, to, you know, these are not, these are, this is not optional legislation. This is how to keep the lights on and keep the government running. And the, I think those divisions are only going to get deeper that we've seen in the administration as we kind of enter what Steve Bannon called the meat grinder month. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, high stakes, high pressure negotiations. I'm guessing a lot more leaks are going to be coming. And uh, and we we may not see all the same faces in the White House by the end of the, this upcoming month that we do right now.
0: Well, the strategy for passing most of these things, such as tax reform, is essentially a party-line vote. I mean, they're not doing anything to cultivate potential Democratic support. Sure. So while you're spending all of your time fighting your allies, who you can't afford to lose any of them, as happened on, on health care, I mean, if there is a strategy here I don't see it. It looks like a strategy. It looks like an intentional effort to undermine yourself and not get any legislation passed.
1: Well, they right. And, and maybe it, it actually literally is a deliberate strategy. I think that somebody, some people have speculated to me that Trump would actually be much happier with a enemy enemies in Congress to, to fight against, that it would actually be better for him if his own party lost at least one chamber of Congress that he could have a more natural foe uh, on Capitol Hill.
0: That's, the, that's the craziest idea I've ever heard, by the way, because if he loses the House, they immediate, seven committees start investigating him immediately. They immediately start impeachment proceedings. And I think it becomes overwhelmingly likely that the Democrats will impeach him because he's given them such solid constitutional grounds to do it. So, I mean, better off, define better off. Like, he can have someone to blame, but he'll be impeached. Well, and look,
1: I don't know if I necessarily buy this, but I think there's also, you know, we have seen time and time again that Trump is most content in kind of, you know, bare-knuckled war, right? He's clearly not interested in policy details. He hasn't gotten anything past. He, he very well might not. To have the House of Representatives to kind of beat up on and go to war with every day on Twitter and, and send his surrogates out, you know, into war on cable, I don't know. It look, like I said, I I don't know what his thinking is here, but he's not doing anything that a president normally would to maintain a very kind of fragile majority in Congress. Uh, He's constantly picking on Republicans that aren't nice nice enough to him. Uh, I I could see Trump, you know, kind of feeling like he's in his element in, in that situation. And like you said, the House might impeach him, but uh, as long as Republicans are holding on to the Senate, it doesn't mean that he will actually be ousted from
0: office just as a as a last member of the cabinet who seems to be uh creating some some distance from trump defense secretary mattis uh there's this Facebook video which like the Gary Cohn thing, doesn't seem like it was intended to become public, but maybe was intended to become public, where he's speaking to the troops and he's saying, we in the military have to hold the line until the people, the rest of the country gets back to respecting each other. I forget his exact words, but it was essentially a pretty clearly pointed comment at the way Trump's been governing. Did you read it that way?
1: Yeah, I did. I also think that Mattis is one of, you know, a handful of uh, maybe more than a handful of of you know legitimate public servants whatever you think of their their ideologies or their records who's trying to, you know, sees sees his job in the Trump administration as averting catastrophe. He's trying to keep things running, uh trying to advise a president who maybe seems unadvisable, but it, I guess the the question for for a lot of these folks now is and and like we We've been talking about, we've, we've seen it come up more and more. You know, what do these guys do? If they, if, do, do they get to a point where they feel like this president is not, is not teachable? He's not interested in learning. He's not interested in taking good advice. And, uh, and do they jump ships? Uh, you know, it's, it's not impossible. It's hard. For, I don't know Mattis very well. People who do tell me that he is a very patriotic person and, and he's not going to just quit for the publicity of it or to save his own, uh, save his own reputation. But there might come a time where people like Mattis just don't feel like they're doing any good in the administration and they might as well get out now and, 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 uh, and wash their hands of this whole kind of mess.
0: In the other direction, do you think it's possible that they see themselves as a kind of uh, secret committee to save the world, that they're, that they're getting together and, and, and figuring out how to be a backstop against Trump, and that when, we, when the history of this period is, is written, it's, there are going to be a lot of meetings among these people where they're talking about how to prevent this guy from creating nuclear catastrophe?
1: Well, sure, it's a you know, I mean, you, I, I'm just I, I, I say, it's
0: a hunch. nobody knows nobody's reported yeah, on course. this, but it's a plausible suspicion, and it's happened before, you know, at the end of the Nixon administration. It's something that if you were a patriotic military person in this role would would sort of fall to you. So it's a, people are positing it. we don't have evidence of it, but I find it quite plausible and heartening. I, I,
1: I find it heartening too, although it, not not to be the like relentless uh, pessimist here. But there is, I also have a concern about, and, and my colleague at the Atlantic, David Frum, has, has written about this and talked about this. But I, I worry about the long term implications of uh, of military leaders and and administration officials kind of working together behind the commander in chief's back to prevent, you know world ca- catastrophe. I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's good. World catastrophe is bad. But also, we do have, you know, our, our Constitution is, is formed in a way that, that it does not, you know, we're not really supposed to have these people running the country behind the, the elected president's back. And I, I hope that if something like that is going on, if, and, you know, look, maybe these conversations are ultimately benign and, and, and it's responsible people working together to try to keep the train on the track but I, I hope that it doesn't create this kind of system where, where you know, for, in the ne- with the next president and the one after that, the so-called grownups in the room can kind of wield all the real power and let the president just kind of be a figurehead. I think that that would be a bad legacy. Among many bad legacies left by this
0: this administration. Last last question, McKay. Why didn't Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, feel compelled to do the thing, the same thing that Gary Cohn and and Rex Tillerson did? I mean, once he has these guys for cover, he said Trump can't fire everybody. I was expecting some, and he's Jewish too. So this, so yeah. this all embrace of of white supremacists and anti Semites is, you know, get you got to, at some level affected him, but he didn't. He he passed up the opportunity to put any daylight between himself and the president.
1: Well, right, and I mean, look, the, we we haven't talked about it that much in this conversation, but <laughs> it's also possible that you know there are people like Minuchin who maybe feel like they are getting good work done in their current in their current job, right? That you know the president is the president trump is trump but uh that he that they in their jobs they're making decisions and doing work that's you know advancing whatever ideological agenda that they have they feel like they're doing good work and they they would rather not uh you know pick a fight with the president of the united states even over something as uh you know as important as charlottesville that they feel like ultimately their small voice in that situation and whatever satisfaction they'd get from that is outweighed by the good that they could do in their current posts. So, I mean, that that's the case for basically maintaining the current status quo. And and maybe all these people will still be here come, you know, September or October.
0: I was going to say, or if you're Steve Mnuchin, you realize that no other president ever, ever would have appointed you to Treasury secretary. <laughs> and you're still pretty grateful to the guy.
1: Well, it's possible, too. There is some loyalty that
0: comes from that. I've been speaking to McKay Coffins. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic. McKay, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. That's it for today's show. But have you checked out Slate's podcast represent? You should. Every week, Smart Creative People join Slate Culture writer and bright young thing Aisha Harris to discuss the latest films, TV shows and happenings in Hollywood. You can download and subscribe Slate's Represent at slate.com/represent. Today's show was produced by Jason Delione. Thanks Jason. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.